Hi, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, Matt Lamb, Matt Lowry, and Tommy DeNuzzo join me. Matt Lamb is the head coach of men's soccer at Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee. Matt Lowry is the youth academy director at the MLS Club Atlanta United. Returning to the podcast is Tommy DeNuzzo, the head coach of the Hampton Sydney College men's soccer program in Farmville, Virginia. They bring decades of experience around youth development, college recruiting, and are well-informed on what it takes to become a college soccer student-athlete. This is an enjoyable, informative podcast. These guys are old friends on top of being extremely knowledgeable in the soccer world. If you have any questions or comments, please send them to me and I'll get them answered. Check out our social media accounts as well and continue to share and like and review the podcast. Are you going to say a beep or anything? Beep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I um, I got introduced to Mary Washington because my older brother actually went to Mary Washington. So um, I think Glenn Gray was on the podcast recently and he spoke about having familiarity because his sister had gone. Um, I think I had a similar familiarity with Mary Washington. Loved the school, knew the coach already. My older brother was um, is six years older than me. So by the time I actually attended, he was, um, he was long gone, but he played soccer there as well. Um, my recruiting visit was kind of funny because my brother, we have, there's three of us and we all played soccer, um, had considered transferring. Um, and so we actually visited at the same time and I stayed with, um, with Tommy. So I got to know the team a little bit, but I think it was a midweek visit. So it was kind of a quick introduction to, to the team. Um, but it was enjoyable. It was familiar. It was definitely everything that I wanted. Um, and then even though the, both of these guys are older than me, I've actually lived with Matt Lowry while I was a student at Mary Wash and then Tommy too, unfortunately. (laughs) Hey, before and after college, for better or worse. That's true. Yep. And then I guess for the start of my coaching career, I, well, even prior to that, I was working as an intern at Major League Soccer and got introduced to kind of the corporate landscape of soccer in the U.S., which was something that I wanted to do and was excited about and felt um, I wanted to get back on the field. And at the time, it was actually during a tailgate that Tommy had found out that he was he had been named the head coach um, probably a few days before that of, of Mary or of uh, of Humane uh, um, Farmington. And um, he asked me after we were talking about it for a little bit, he says, well, I just bought a house. You know, we don't have much of a stipend for an assistant, but you can come and live with me and we get your foot in the door with coaching. And that's kind of how the start of my coaching career began. And after a year of that, it was kind of find the next landing spot. And that's actually how I ended up as the Rhodes assistant. And, and the rest is kind of history from there. Yeah. So how many years did you guys work at uh, Maine, UMaine Farmington? I worked with Tommy for his first year there. So we were, we were taking over or Tommy was taking over and I was helping him kind of, uh, you know, implement his culture and get things started and, Tommy had not been a head coach before too. So there were a lot of things that we were kind of figuring out, but then well after I was gone, Tommy really, and probably because I was gone, Tommy got things figured out. Um, 
at Maine Farmington and did a great job there before going to him to Sydney. But Tommy, how many years was that? So I was there for four years and I think Scott, it's ironic. We talk, I mean, obviously the point of this podcast is talk about the recruiting process, man, at, at UMF, I mean, we talk about the disparities across divisions and how the process is different at every place. At UMF, I mean, Lamb can attest to this. Like, if, if we go to, like, if him or I go to Jeff Cup or something like that now, or ECNL down in Greensboro, we hear from a million kids ahead of time. There's a ton of kids we know already. When at UMF at that time, when we would go to recruit an event like that, like one kid would write us, um, and, and maybe nobody. Uh, and you're like scouring the earth at like events like that. You're going to, high school games, you're going to, I mean, anything and everything. It's just so, so different, um, you know, compared to like, we're super fortunate in Virginia where the soccer scene is very developed, everything's streamlined to, you know, these top leagues, we're, we're kind of right in the thick of things. So um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it opened my eyes quite a bit to, to how youth soccer is different around the country and how the recruiting process, that was night and day from, you know, where I'd been at Mary Washington and Lynchburg and how we recruited kids. So very different, but yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Maine isn't really known as a hotbed of youth soccer, I guess. Um, no, not really, but they, <laughs> they got, they got players there. They, they absolutely have players there. It's just, uh, you know, maybe, maybe soccer is not always the first choice out, out there. And then um, it's not like you can drive 15 minutes and, and be part of a big, you know, nationally recognized club, like you got to drive an hour and a half down the seacoast in New Hampshire, um, or you go down to Boston and you play for the Rebs Academy if you're really at that level. So um, it's not maybe quite as convenient as some places. Yeah. Um, so you guys are like three University of Mary Washington products, uh, all went into coaching. Um, and then, you know, the last podcast I put out had two other alums. I mean, why is Mary Washington putting out so many guys that end up playing or involved in soccer for on a coaching level? What's going on there? Anybody, Matt Lowry, why? <laughs> I think, I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's when someone goes for it, I think others go for it as well. So I don't know yeah. who started it. I, I couldn't put, a finger on you know kind of who began this kind of coaching journey but there were guys when I joined freshman year I just tagged along with one of the juniors um, on the team to go have a meeting with the local director and I just tagged along as like coaching that sounds cool I like soccer I would love to have a little bit of money for beer in Chipotle this sounds fantastic um, so that was literally what happened I just kind of tagged along to another meeting so I think once people within a group, it's a, it's a tight group of 22 to 26 guys when two or three of them in the room are making a little bit of money on the side for coaching, more get involved and it catches on with certain people. Um, so obviously the three guys on this call, it, it caught on and stuck, but I think a lot of us have done some coaching in the past just because guys around us were doing it. Um, right. So it made it really easy, but it's kind of in the water there. It's interesting. Yeah, it is. I also think like the Fredericksburg location, there's a lot of stuff going on. Like, like Lowry just said, I remember sophomore year, one of the guys I played for growing up offered me like 50 bucks a session to go do individual work with these kids. And I was like $50 for an hour. Yeah. I'll do anything for that at that point. Um, 
So yeah, and I, we went from there, and then uh, like I remember going through my uh, licenses early with Lowry, like while we were still in college, and others did the same, and then uh, yeah, it kind of spiraled from there. I think everyone kind of took those opportunities that were pretty easily accessible to us. Yeah, um, so let's back up. Talk about uh, your um, college, your playing experiences together, and and um, you know. I think it's important, we've talked about this before, but I think it's important for kids to realize like the lifelong friendships that you guys have developed by, you know, being part of a culture and and growing up, you know, becoming men, going from boys to men, so to speak, um, together. And and, uh, so talk a little bit about that experience and and your growth process and and that sort of thing. Sorry, there's three guys here. I should probably uh, direct my question at one person. Matt Lamb, Matt Lamb, go. Yeah. I would, I would say that, you know, <laughs> I think what was special about Mary Washington, and I think a lot of coaches or people that played team sports or college athletics would say just the community within that and those relationships. So, of course, that has something to do, and 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 the passion that you're pouring into it, and those bonds continue after you've graduated. I think that has a lot to do with why many of us are coaching. I think I didn't get as involved as quickly as these guys did when they were in college, but then my relationship with Tommy um, kind of brought me back into the game on on the ground level, which was pretty neat. Um, Also, kind of paralleling that is many of our friends from that team went to Northern Virginia and started working and then helped each other kind of get jobs and work their way up um, kind of a corporate chain in a completely different field. Um, But I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of us continue to band together, even if we're at different locations and Lowry's texting me this morning is, you know, Hey, well, you're not going to Atlanta for a game this year. I'll have to come to Memphis just to visit you. But of course, when we're all recruiting, you know, we're going to share a hotel with the guys that you might've roomed with when you were in college. So it's really an extension of the relationships that, soccer provided for us when we were in in college and i think a lot of people who are in club nowadays especially even high school can share that sentiment over the relationships that were built during that time frame and when you have a community like that and there's a purpose behind it there's a real um you know a a a direction of where you're going and i think organically you develop these bonds and for anybody who's considering you know, a college out there, I think, you know, you can find some questions within that, that you can ask the coach and especially ask the players on the team, what it's like to be a member of that team. And I think for us, it was soccer was the vehicle and the relationships and the way, the way that we were able to grow and mature together um, was just something really unique and really special. And I think when you look at where each of us are now and how we're still all so connected, it's such a reflection over, kind of coach Gordon and, and the leadership and the culture of the team that had been established even like well before we were there. Um, I think that's pretty neat to see. And it's definitely made a huge impact on my life and something that we try to replicate at our, um, at our college and our soccer team. Yeah. I remember being a freshman and just being really astounded at how tight like the senior class was like, there was a group of like six, seven, eight guys that, we're just really, really close together. And it seemed like, in my perspective, they've been really tight all the way through it. And that was 
that was really cool. So they kind of became our role models. So we wanted the same thing. Um, so I think each team has a little bit of clicks. Each guy's, you know, everyone's going to kind of separate a little bit. But I think within Mary Wash, there was just culture of, yeah, you can have your little outside clicks, but the team is the team. And it wasn't that clicky. I think the majority of the group was really together. Half the time was living together, um, hanging out together on the weekends. I mean, it was a large group of guys, like 14, 15 guys that were continuously really, really close. Um, and I, I don't know if that's normal. I don't think that's normal, but it's definitely, for me, it was definitely because of those older guys when I came in, that's how they were. And I wanted to continue that culture. Um, and I'm not the easiest guy to get along with sometimes. So it was nice for me to be part of it and to get accepted. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, I think for me, it was all about the role models and just trying to continue that. Um, I would also add, uh, and yeah, I agree with what these guys have said, but, uh, it makes me think about it. I had, uh, I met up with one of my players down in Wilmington a couple of days ago. One of my former players that graduated a couple of years ago, and he's in the real world now. He's doing great. And we were just talking about some different things. Um, and he starts talking about his teammates that he played with that he's still in touch with all the time, just like the three of us are. And and he went on to say, he's like, man, he goes, but the one thing, he's like, the one thing I miss the most is just playing in those games like with those guys. He's like, there's just nothing like it. He's like, it, it can't be recreated. I don't get anything like that now. Um, and and I said to him, I was like, that's what we try to tell you guys while you're here. Like, this is it. Um, playing in those games. I, I think uh, it bonds you, like, in a way to go through some of that stuff. You remember some of those moments on the field very vividly. Um, I mean, I remember us beating E-Town in overtime and Lowry scored the goal. Um, I think my senior year, like, I can remember that, like, right now. Like, there's stuff like that. I think that just bonds you um and you know kind of builds on that like closeness you have already with these guys and it sticks with you um but i don't think it can be replicated outside of um you know a competitive athletic setting like that um but again i think it's powerful and it absolutely sticks with you so you know that's what we always tell kids in the recruiting process if they're deciding between going to play somewhere or going to you know uva just to go like go play soccer go go try that first because there's stuff you're going to get from that that you cannot get um if you don't go and try it so i, I think it, it's a special unique thing uh, and it bonds you in a way yeah i mean those are all great answers um so you brought up recruiting so uh matt lamb um i was looking at your roster and uh you you lay down a, a pretty big swath of recruiting you're you're all over the place um talk about um the challenges uh, of of having to recruit nationally, and you know, you have you're at a really good institution, um, known for you know, it's a difficult school to get into and that sort of thing. So, um, talk about the challenges there, and and um, you know, maybe some good recruiting stories that you've you've had over the last couple of years. Stories I'll need to think about, um, but as far as <laughs> As far as the academic challenge of just being admitted into Rhodes and finding the right um, to fit for the school um, holistically, I actually think that part of the process simplifies it a little bit for us because when we go and watch a game, you know, I can already identify the players that could potentially be a good academic fit for us. So it, it shrinks the pool 
a little bit. And although we work on kind of a national scale for our recruiting, um, trying to pull kids from the West Coast, of course, the East Coast, a lot of the Mid-Atlantic, um, and of course, in the South, um, when, when you go to watch during these showcases, which is where we do the majority of our work, um, as well as camps, um, it, you, you can minimize the group and kind of hone in on specific players fairly quickly. And a lot of the time, I feel like players can be proactive and they'll reach out to you. And if they're listing that academic stuff, then you're going to go and if this kid fits his highlights are decent and he fits the academic caliber of what we're looking for. Um, it certainly simplifies it. The challenge for us a lot of the time is we, we care a lot and emphasize this cultural, um, you know, identity that we want to continue to grow and improve every single year. And I think that's really defined by the players and the people that we're finding. Um, and finding the right, um, player that fits our system or um, even our culture is harder to do, I think, when you don't have the frequency that Tommy might have or one of these coaches in a more condensed college environment or, or just soccer hotbed might have where their pool um, is just as big maybe, but it's shrunk down to a certain space where it might require a two-hour drive. For us, it requires quite a few flights weekend commitments. Um, my assistant is, is traveling constantly. I think he hit different States more than 25, more than 30 times throughout the, the, the year, this, this fiscal year, this past year, which of course is expensive, but it's kind of part of the, the work that we need to do in order to kind of not have all of our eggs in one basket and basically have plan A through Z over who we identify as the best fit. And if you see a kid once, that's great. Two times, great. Three times, Tommy can probably pull that off in a month if he wanted to. And for us, that might take six months or a year to see a player play those three times. And I think it draws out the process a little bit more, um, but it definitely challenges us in a positive way that I think we have to be really intentional over identifying what we would consider um, the road soccer DNA. So, um, for us, it's an exciting challenge, and um, like I said, our assistant, Tom, um, does like an exceptional job, and he's been leading the charge with quite a bit of that. Cool. Uh, hey, Scott, can, I yeah, want to yeah. – like, so this is something like Lamb and I talk about all the time because he's exactly right. Like, we're recruiting Virginia, North Carolina, a few outliers, and, and he's right. I can go see a kid play like 10 times. Um, where, you know, he's watching them like twice um, in that same span of time. So it's like a little bit different. Um, so I, I think the process is different. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're trying to find kids that are going to come in and be successful. Um, and, you know, I think that there's some defining qualities like that that lead to that, that maybe can be harder to uh, identify when you're not seeing these kids as frequently. But with that, I wanted to ask Lowry because I think he's got a unique perspective on this stuff um Lowry with with your kids and obviously you're dealing with some very high level kids and the track is different at Atlanta United Got, guys are going there to be pros um and that type of thing what, what do you think uh maybe are the defining characteristics that like separate the, the top guys or the guys that come in and thrive like in, in your environment I'm wondering if it's very similar to what Lamb and I are looking for 
Yeah, it's mental determination. I mean, I think when I was on here um, with Scott and, and Coach Norris, that was the big thing that came up. And that is why this job is so fun and so difficult and is why no one in the world is ever really going to figure out youth development because the piece that is the most important, we're not really able to, to see. It's not very tangible, but it's all about that ability to be resilient, that ability to have grit and that ability to keep going. Don't get me wrong, at the highest level, you need elite athleticism, you need elite genetics, um, you need to be able to move exceptionally well and exceptionally quickly. But at the end of the day, I'm a big believer that if a kid keeps going, keeps pushing, can get through tough times, can stay humble, um, those things take kids so, so, so far. And we see it over and over again at our level. The best kid at 12, the best kid at 14 is not the best kid at 18. It's so consistent, um, and there's a reason for that. Um, and, and the guy that, you know, um, the Tottenham Hotspurs Academy director is always calling it the silver medalist. Like whenever he speaks about Harry Kane and the way he came through, he refers to him as a silver medalist. Like he was good, but he was just never the best. And he was always kind of scratching and scraping to be the best. Um, and that's really hard to, to look at and say that's going to be the one. Um, but it's usually one of those kids that has all that grit and mental determination. Um, and I think that's consistent at any level, as long as you have those kids that are willing to give a little bit more for the group, give a little bit more for the team and give a little bit more for themselves, they're going to make it in whatever capacity they want to. Um, but yeah, mental determination, it's huge. So I, I knew that was going to be your answer. And so like Lamb and I are looking for that exact same thing and again that's the determining like quality with these kids it's like can they deal with adversity can they deal with resilience um and it doesn't matter how talented these kids are coming into whether it's atlanta united or it's Rhodes, hampton sydney william and mary whatever that is the you know the probably the overarching um yeah, attribute that's going to define if they're going to be truly successful or not but like so like for you lamb like how hard is that to figure out when you're watching these kids in such a limited amount of time? Well, that's the, that's the piece that's the most difficult to figure out. And ultimately, you know, I think we have to have a level of awareness that the club coaches know their kids better than we do when we're only seeing them play however many times and trying to evaluate like the mental fortitude, the grit, the things these guys are talking about. Um, but even their coping mechanisms of how they can adapt or solve problems when they arise, whether they're on the field or off the field, I think they inevitably happen. But, you know, I don't know if I would have even had, you know, an accurate assessment over my own ability to do that when I was heading into college. Um, of course, there's levels of maturity that come with it, but we become dependent on talking to the club coaches. I think that's a huge factor. Um, and of course, we rely on guys that are or, or, or women that are going to give us an accurate assessment and say, these are the things they need to work on. These are the things they do great. But, um, you know, we spend quite a bit of time. I called Tommy this, uh, this summer kind of asking him, you know, how much intentionality has he put in, in to evaluate grit for recruits that they're looking at? And Tommy sent over an entire spreadsheet of different attributes of players that they're looking at um, and, and where they fit into their system and what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. 
And I think the bigger area is like, you want to be able to find players that can differentiate themselves and hold on to some level of confidence and be able to help the team. And that could mean like a lot of different things, but it's entirely dependent on those coping mechanisms and the grit and that mental fortitude and pinpointing that to answer your question, Tommy is, is like, it's just so difficult and it's even more difficult with seeing kids uh, less frequently than we do. Than, than you might rather. So yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. It just dawned on me that um, you guys, with the exception of Matt Lowry, are, are seeing guys like put their best foot forward. You're seeing their best usually. You get an, Matt Lamb, you get an email from someone and you get a tape, you know, you see video, it's not tape anymore, um, of a kid and it's his highlights, right? So it's just as important for you guys to see failure and how they handle the failure, right? Um, and so, like, developmentally, Matt Lowry, like, how often are you, like, are you intentionally creating situations where kids are going to fail so that you can teach them how to deal with that? Or it's kind of like the chicken or the egg, you know, which which comes first, you know, the ability to handle failure or failing and then developing the the ability you know what i mean so yeah you can yeah. talk a little bit about the situations you create and that sort of thing yeah we never i think sometimes internally within the office we do want to see kids fail um but really we know that it's going to happen the way that we look at it um is we kind of look at it in a challenge curve it's like the, basically mm -hmm. the same as a bell curve kind of starts here where life is very very easy and everything's tranquil and, and simple and everything comes very easily. And then as you move up, the height of the curve is kind of, okay, that is that is the area where you are challenged the most, but you can still hold on to it. It makes sense. You're not completely overwhelmed. You're not breaking down. You are challenged effectively. And that's what we're always trying to do. And sometimes the kid starts to go down the curve a little bit where it's just clearly too much for them and they're in quicksand and they're reacting poorly to things because they just can't handle that challenge yet. And we try to just get the kids to lure, live on that kind of downward slope, but not too far down. We always want them going every day like, I need to work a little bit harder. I'm not quite good enough yet. If they ever say, I've made it, I'm the man, our job is done. So that's how we try to push players along in different ways. Usually playing them up in age group is the easiest way. But we deal with a lot in the reserve team as well. We have a 15-year-old right now who started the last three games for our reserve team because he's earned that. And we're looking at him and he's like going, he's on that slope and he's starting, he moves up a little bit, he moves down a little bit. And we're just kind of watching him going, the second we see him starting to really fly down it, maybe he will, maybe he won't. We need to make sure that he's supported um, and that, you know, he can drop into a U19 game or U17 game and get a bit of confidence. So it's all about that back and forth. Um, but again, we, we know that the player is going to make mistakes. We know that the player is going to fail. We don't intentionally put them in an environment to do that. But we do put them in an environment where it's like, okay, you've done well here. What's next for you? Um, and that's kind of the exciting part. But also, it gets it gets tricky um, because failure is not always easy to deal with. Um, and we're in a, we're in an area where we're dealing with kids that are 13, 14, 15. So sometimes we have to teach them how to deal with these failures as well. Um, in the college environment, my hope is that we, in the club level and in the youth level, do a good enough job that a player goes in has a really tough game for Tommy. He can bounce back from that rather than completely break down. 
hopefully these guys learn learn these techniques and learn these ways of getting through it at younger ages. Um, but it's it's constant. I mean, moving move into a new environment, it's tough. You're trying to prove people that you're good, trying to prove people that you're the best, and there's going to be that moment where you fail. Um, but we do think about that and, and trying to challenge the player always in the correct way. Yeah. Um, and then for you guys as college coaches, I mean, you're bringing in kids who are high achievers, right? I mean, you got your guys' schools are good schools and, you know, they probably come from families that are high achievers and there's a lot of pressure on them. And so failure is probably fairly challenging for them at times. So, I mean, uh, Tommy, how do you coach kids through that? And, and Matt, I'll, you know, Matt Lamb, I'd, it'd be great to get an answer from you how you guys handle it, although it's probably fairly similar. So first off, I, I liked Lowry's answer because I think top clubs <laughs> like Atlanta United are intentional about doing what he described, and they want to put these kids in these uncomfortable situations um, where, you know, they're going to fail at times, and then they help build them back up and they help get them through it and it, it's part of it but i think at a lot of clubs that's not the case and like in virginia if it doesn't work out at bc united you go to vda if that doesn't work out you go to the next club like and it's like that and, and that happens a ton you see it in the college environment too like with kids going to insert whatever you know middling division one program they don't get the time they want the program's not that successful it's not their fault so they hop on the transfer portal and they go to the next one. Um, and so I don't think a lot of these kids have been conditioned to deal with these situations. And I think you're exactly right, Scott. Like the clientele at, at places like Hampton, Sydney and Rhodes, where generally kids, kids have done really well academically. Um, they've done really well soccer wise. They might not have dealt with major challenges um, and, and really, truly failed in some of these situations. So it might be the first time when they come to college and they scored, you know, a ton of goals and started every single game in high school and club. And then they come to us and they can't get on the field um, because it's that much more competitive. And then how do you respond? So that's the thing for me. Like we, we tell kids when they come to our program, they have an opportunity to be part of the team and that's it. You're not guaranteed anything else. The rest is up to you, not us. So um, I think how these kids respond. And again, we, we see it from year to year. Um, even like when kids come in as a freshman and maybe they're not fully fit when they show up to preseason or maybe they're not quite there mentally to deal with the ups and downs or to deal with the, how rigorous their daily environment is now compared to high school. So they don't perform at their highest level. They don't impact the team much, but they take that. They work really hard the next few months. They buckle down on the off season. And then when the spring season gets going, now that kid that was the 30th guy on the team is in the starting 11 um, when you're playing games. And we see that all the time. And then then you see it the other way too, where someone might come in and have some success um, and you know they don't build on it because um, they're not as driven. So I, I think it's interesting to see how kids manage it a little bit, but we try to articulate this stuff on the front end. Like it's not supposed to be easy. It should be difficult um, and, and be grateful when it's difficult because that's when you're truly growing. That's where like if it's not working out for you, if you're not getting the time you want, if you're not getting the grades you want in the classroom, you got to do something different. Um, th these are life skills. So, uh, yeah, I don't think these kids have, you know, typically been truly conditioned to deal with this kind of stuff. So when they get to us, um, we try to help them and, and, and again, let them know that this stuff is in their control. Um, they have an opportunity if 
you know, you make some changes and then it's our job to kind of articulate what those changes need to be and see how kids respond. But yeah, it's encouraging every single year you see kids respond really, really well in these types of situations. Um, you know, which again, these are life skills. Yeah. I think it goes back to the camaraderie piece as well. Like I remember the tough times, like I really wasn't going to the coach and saying, Hey, what do I need to do to start? I was going to the upperclassmen, Tommy included and being like, what do you see? Like, what can I do better? Like, what can I do better in training? I want to play more. So it builds the team together as well. 18 year old guys are not the best at going to adults and asking for help, but they're very good about looking around and talking to their peers and saying, all right, you're starting, you're a really good defender on the team. What do you do that I can take? How, how can I be better? Um, and Lamb and Tommy, you'll, you'll know this name, but I was always with Dave Rodriguez because I just thought he was such a good defender and he was an upperclassman for me. This kid started his freshman year, was an unbelievable defender all four years of his college career. And I was constantly in his ear my freshman year. I was pretty good on the ball. I was pretty quick, but my defending wasn't as good as I wanted to be. So Dave, how do I get better in these moments? And he was really helpful to me and just told me to kick people in the shins. And it worked. But it was uh, it was a good moment of kind of that camaraderie piece. But every kid should suffer. Every kid should have a moment um, where they're not playing, where they're not starting, where they have to fight through that. I think that's part of what we're trying to create for these kids and, and being better humans and being better people. But it definitely brought me closer to my teammates. Um, the times that I was suffering, I would go to them for help. Um, and it worked a lot. Can I, uh, sorry, Liam, I, I know you're up next, but I just want to, that's, that reminds me of uh, my freshman year. Same, like very similar. Like I started like my first few games, like as a freshman. Um, and uh, all of a sudden, like I, I thought I was doing fine. And uh, after three or four games, uh, all of a sudden I wasn't in the lineup anymore, like in training the day before a game. And I went to our coach, like he didn't, he did not say a word to me beforehand to give me a heads up. That was going to be the case. And uh, I went over to him and I was like, coach, I was like, well, why am I not starting anymore? And he was like, you don't defend well enough. Your work rate's not good enough. And I was like, okay. Uh, so I didn't start the next game. And when I subbed on, I, you know, doubled my effort out there um, and, you know, was able to start the game after that. But uh, yeah, yeah I, there's lots of ways, like lots of examples like that for everyone. And it's all about how you respond and you just got to see it as a challenge and, and keep going. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with what they're saying. Um, I think I think the dangerous game that we kind of see, whether it's parenting or um, or any any other mentorship is defining the success by like the outcome as opposed to the journey that takes place and the growth that takes place during that. And I think it's easy to kind of in in the former define it within this extrinsic um, perspective where if you are on X team and you are the best player or winning this league, people have a funny way of defining like, oh, that's the best league and the best team. And, the, and so they think that their kid has been lined up for success because of that or, you know, whatever information that they're hearing. Um, and regardless of how we spin it, you kind of need to, you're getting past the baton when they come into the college environment. In the college environment, it's still completely, it's different, but it's still a learning environment. So you might have a kid who's, um, whose grit or, or just determination when things go poorly is, is 
underdeveloped. And then you might have a kid who literally by his last year at club finally made that top team. And he's been that Harry Kane that Lowry is talking about. And we're kind of managing collectively, but working with these guys individually. And if you don't meet them where they are, then the challenge might be too far. Um, and, and of course, if, if, if they're having a ton of success early on, it could be um, like a situation like Tommy was do- talking about on his own. But um, I think it's important once again for us in the recruiting process to be asking the right questions in order to define, you know, has this been challenged before? Because I think those challenges also define your passion and how much you actually love it and how much um, that how you know, if, if that is really strong, then there's a stronger potential for you to continue forward through those those really challenging moments. And um, we talk a lot more about kind of those things that we can control within our environment and try to facilitate those challenges and the competition and and help the guys cope with those as opposed to d- discussing the end goals that we can't necessarily control. And I think that's kind of a given if you're in a leadership position. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it, it's definitely four years of, of um, continued um, growth that cannot be understated. And we're only taking the baton from, from mentors and, uh, and coaches and parents that have raised their kid for 18 years, which, is probably more defining than what we can do in four years. Right. Hey, Lowry, um, last time you were on, you talked about a kid that you, um, that's in the Atlanta United system who's on the first team now. Um, I think he had a match against Messi a couple of nights ago, maybe. Um, but the most... Hey, you guys, gotta, you guys gotta make some adjustments in your back line, man. He's uh he's tough to deal with this this messy character. Uh, I think the goal was to put him on his right foot. That didn't really work. Um, then the goal was to put two people around him at all times. That didn't really work. So you know, back to the drawing board with him. I think you should have gone back to the mentorship that you got and just kick him in the shins, right? Um, yeah, no one wanted to do that. Fair enough. <laughs> no, but uh, the most impressive thing that you told me or that you brought up about that kid, uh, Caleb Wiley, is that, you know, he just, he wasn't the, he was the silver medalist, right? You know, and, and he just decided that he was going to get it done to the best in that he measured success as, you know, through his process, not as he didn't, you know, maybe he had a vision for his outcome, but he just loved it and poured his heart and soul into it. And, um, so let's talk about like encouraging that process um, through the youth, you know, uh, steps, progressions, and then, you know, how you guys continue that as you get into college. Um, so, I mean, Matt, you said that, or Lowry, you said that, I mean, he still is getting found in public parks doing his own training and that sort of thing. I mean, that's, that's really impressive and just a, a an indication of his love and determination to just continually get better. Yeah. I remember maybe this has less to do with playing, but I remember being a really young coach and I was really driven, really ambitious. I wanted to, you know, move up the ladder and I had a really good mentor named Bob Jenkins who'd worked with the national teams. Um, and he was a director in Richmond when I was there 
and we were having a chat and he's a really laid back um older guy just kind of talking through things and he's so calm and i'm just going like yeah and in two years i want to be here and in five years i want to be here and in 10 years i want to be here and i remember him just calming me down and saying look all this is fine it's okay to have goals it's okay to think you're going to be somewhere in five years but if you don't give absolutely everything to what you're doing now you're never going to get there anyways so the better thing is just to focus on the now give absolutely everything and in five years time you look back and go oh wow, I'm exactly where I want to be or I'm further than I ever got to. And I use that story all the time with the players. Like, you can have dreams. You can have a poster on the wall of, of Messi and want to play against him one day. And Caleb had a poster of Messi and wanted to play with him and against him um, one day. But the way that he attacked each and every single day, that's what made him different. And that's what continues to make him different. And that's hard. I mean, that's really, really hard to be that committed every single day to wake up and work harder than the guy next to you. It's so impressive. And I think all four of us are on this podcast going, it's hard to pinpoint. It's hard to see, um, you know, even over the course of four years, it's, it's, it's difficult to know who has that unbelievable grit and determination. But it's really fun to watch over time. Um, some kids have it, some kids don't. But Scott, at the end of the day, I think you hit the nail on the head. If you love the game and pour everything into your work with the game and want to give back in a positive manner, whether you're a college coach one day or whether you're working in the youth system one day or whether you just take your playing career as far as it can possibly go, I think that's the goal. Just keep being in the game. Keep being a positive influence in the game. Keep the cleats on as long as possible, um, but love it. And I think the best players do, the best coaches do, and the best people involved in the game just love it, love it. Just absolutely love the game. And that's the biggest thing for me. Yep. You guys have anything to add? Uh... Uh, I mean, that resonates with me a little bit. I mean, yes, on the youth side for sure. And then also like with the coaching side, like I, and it's a hard thing to articulate, but I think there's players that love it. There's coaches that love it. Um, and that's obvious. Like, and then the, there's people that are, are in it as a player and a coach that don't like I would not describe them that that they love the game that they love soccer like like you know you got to be obsessed uh as a player or a coach like to be successful and if not um th then you get passed up and I don't think you can fake that either like you either have that um or, or you don't so I think it's a hard thing to articulate but um yeah no like we we phrase it like that all the time with guys um that they either love it or they don't and I think you're in one of those two categories and, and you just can't fake it. And it comes out in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Matt Lamb. So, <clears throat> I mean, you, you have limited opportunities to see kids and how are you determining if they have that in them? If you see them once, twice, and then just video, like what questions are you asking? How can, how can a recruit convey that? that they have that grit and determination. Um, yeah. You. you know, I wish it was as simple of, as asking somebody, are you gritty? But it's obviously significantly more complicated than that. And there's just, um, I think seeing them in an environment that we're asking them a question where they're going to have organic conversation and kind of talk about some of their history, talk about their journey, talk about their soccer journey, their family and all those different elements. Um, and when they start bringing up some of the struggles, that's definitely kind of a, something that piques our interest and, and we'll ask more questions about that. Um, 
And sometimes it, it comes up in a common app essay and sometimes it comes up in conversation, but it's so relationship driven and you're only going to get that information out of them when you get to know them a little bit better. I think on the field, of course, it's a matter of seeing them frequently in different environments, different challenges. If you see them once, um, that that's like, you know, 1% of what you're going to end up the amount of times that you, less than 1% of the amount of times that you will have them as a player and be seeing them play as a player. Um, so seeing them play frequently, but anything from how they're interacting with their teammates to what, what is the weather like when it's raining or if the weather is horrible, some of these, um, maybe it's like, is it, is it Jeff cut like a couple years ago and it's just pouring rain and it's, it's like, you know, freezing or I went to St. Louis and I think the wind chill was like negative seven. But when you see a kid who's still gaming and and they start to differentiate themselves with that, um, it's definitely a powerful thing. How kids interact with their parents, the communication, the way that their parents are communicating to them. Um, And then I think a big thing too for us is even what does Sunday look like? I think a lot of the times coaches are going to leave on a Sunday because it's harder to when a player is kind of exhausted to to kind of differentiate between the players um, on the field. But sometimes if you stick around a little bit longer, which we might tend to do because we're flying out there and it's like this is a big commitment for us. We want to get every single ounce out of this that we can. There might be a kid who's down five nothing and is just all over the field and you know, still playing like lights out really hard. And that could be another moment that you're defining what this kid's character is like, as opposed to just his ability. Um, I think the list goes on and on and we don't just have like a list um, just like lined up when we're out there recruiting. But I think those are the things that pique our interest. And when they, when it catches our attention, we want to learn more about it. We want to know your history and and how you were raised and, and, and those different pieces. Um, like you said, it's challenging to kind of get an accurate assessment of that all the time, but that's part of our job and part of, you know, our thought process without a doubt, probably think more about that than even like defining the players on field characteristics and their ability, because I think that part of it can be a little bit easier to, um, to identify. Yeah. Um, so that brings up the point that it's incredibly important to, and this has come up before, is to be vulnerable and to be open and, and you know, be honest uh, when, when you're interacting with people who are recruiting you to not just, you know, hide the things that you don't want them to know. I mean, it's you guys, you don't want the, you don't want to find out about that stuff later when they're already with you and, and that sort of thing. Right. Um <clears throat> So maybe, you know, uh, trying to think of the way to ask the question, but like maybe talk about a time where something like that burned you guys, you know, once you'd brought a player in and, you know, you found out something about their characteristics that, that you didn't, that didn't quite work for you or, you know, maybe you're just, you're thorough enough that you, that didn't really happen, but, um, Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think we all have stories of players that, um, you know, you're not judging a book by its cover, but you've identified them as a talent. And then when you bring them in, they're struggling for a variety of different reasons. I think the bigger question isn't like, 
if they're struggling, like you can have somebody who has a horrible first week or two of training when they get thrown into the mix. And it could be for a variety of different reasons. And some of which you will not understand without a doubt. Um, but it's how they're still like coping with those challenges. So the vulnerability aspect of it is partly our responsibility to kind of have that conversation and, and see like how they're feeling because ultimately no one's going to perform their best or be confident. Um, you know, if they're, if they're not feeling like they belong in a certain environment, but of course, for, for us, when you're coming in when you're 18, it's, it's definitely hard to articulate that, especially if you haven't experienced some of those challenges before. Um, but I love the word vulnerability because I think it's kind of a misunderstood word. And if you get labeled as like a leader of the team, I think one of the most important elements of your, the way that you can connect with others is your vulnerability. It humanizes you because everybody has that. And, and sometimes it's a misunderstood aspect like you're kind of saying, is that that's something that you need to be hiding in order for somebody to kind of give you the approval is that this is where you belong. And um, but I, I think we we want to know those challenges that these kids are up against because um, those challenges aren't going to go away and and they're only going to kind of increase. So being able to be open um, and I don't know what that conversation necessarily looks like as it relates to like the recruiting process. Um, a lot of that kind of happens organically um, through those conversations and the relationships that are being built. So I don't know if I'm really directly answering your question, but I think vulnerability in itself could be kind of a podcast of, of its own because of how powerful it is in a really effective way, because it means you're challenging yourself by having self-reflection that's accurate um, and 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 kind of articulating that this is a space that I want to improve on, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll add, I mean, your original question, Scott, about like situations where guys have come in and, and we felt like we got burned with their character or stuff we didn't pick up on in the process. I don't think I've ever felt that way. And I think usually, I mean, through the process, like you get to know these kids to, to some extent, you get to know their family. So it gives you some idea of them as a person and them as a player. And then from there, like very, very rarely, like do I feel very confident about what I think a kid's going to come in and be like and, and do for us on the field right away. Usually there's some spectrum and like we just hired a new assistant coach and he called me the other day and was asking about our incoming guys that he wasn't part of the recruiting process for. And he's like, who are going to be our impactful guys? And I went through each of them. And almost every guy, um, you know, like the answer is like, well, if his mentality is good, he could come in and be impactful, but he's got to be able to deal with some of this stuff. And then there's some others um, where it's like, you know, he could be great, but but I'm, I'm not sure. So it's it's like that. You kind of know, like the spectrum with these guys majority of the time. And usually if you're surprised by something, it goes the other way. Somebody adapts really, really quickly and you just didn't see it. And it, normally it's because they have those gritty attributes or they have that resilience built in um, or that confidence built in where they can just hop into a setting with 30 other guys that they've never played with before and they're completely unfazed um, and they're comfortable. So, um, yeah, I think, again, you learn a lot during the process, but I, I don't think you very, very rarely am I like 100% sure. Um, you, you know, having said that, we had a kid – that was a freshman for us last year that I watched play like in the summer go, before he came to us. 
And um, I called our assistant coach while I was watching him, and I was like, this kid's going to come in, and he's going to be an all-conference player, and I've never been so sure of anything. Um, but that very, very rarely happens. Um, I was right. But, uh, yeah, so, again, I, I think I think it's just really, really hard to know. But if you do your due diligence, like, you're not getting burned. Like, you know the, the spectrum of what it could be like for these kids, and then you they get found out once they get to you. Yeah. Um, go back to something you said earlier, Tommy. So uh, you were talking about your experience as a player when, you know, you were starting and then you got benched and the coach said nothing to you. Right. And so certain kids, they're not going to, they're not going to take that the right way. Right. They're going to, they're going to not take ownership of the fact that, they needed to improve something. They were just going to blame the coach and say the coach is an asshole or something like that. Um, so how do you determine all of you guys? Um, and uh, I guess we'll go Matt Lowry first, but like, how do you determine how to coach kids or, or student athletes? Um, how do you determine, you know, I'm just going to give them the cold shoulder or, you know, I'm going to put my arm around this kid and, and really counsel them as to how to, handle a situation yeah that's a really good question um with the younger ages it i'll stay away from the younger ages actually because it is what it is it's sometimes a little bit more parent-based but i think more to make it relatable um to this podcast and obviously the college pieces are older kids we'll think about them kind of in personality traits that are four different colors and i don't want to get too academic but basically we say they're going to be red and red is your classic number nine. A little bit selfish, very arrogant, um, doesn't deal all the time very well with setbacks, but when they're on their good day, they're phenomenal. Um, but they're the ones barking at the other players in training. They're the ones that can be a bit rough around the edges in the locker room. Then you have your green players. Your green players are super social. They tend to be sometimes your center mid, sometimes your fullbacks, um, but they really, really like togetherness. They love being part of the group. They're the guys that are always, you know, walking to the fields together with big groups. They're always around other guys. They love the social camaraderie piece. Then you have yellow. Yellow is your artist. It's your creative guy. It's your really quiet guy, your introverted guy. But on the field, they're lightning. These are oftentimes your wingers or sometimes your number 10. A little bit different. Um, sometimes hard to talk to or hard to deal with. Can be really, really quiet and introverted. But again, like unbelievable on their good days. Um, and then the final one is blue. And blue is process oriented. It's the kid that wants to know if A equals B, then I get to C. Please give me like, just give me the logic behind it. And those tend to be your center backs, your goalkeepers, your defensive center mids. They just want to be in the right place at the right time. And they oftentimes want the coach to help them through that. So those are kind of the four categories. It's by no means the Bible. It's by no means perfect. But we try to think about the kids in that way because then we have a sense of how we can teach them and how we can coach them. Because if you have a really strong personality, a red, you have someone who's arrogant, who's selfish, that can be a good thing on the field. But if I batter that player in front of everyone else, they shut down because it's all about them and how they look. But if I pull that player to the side and he's away from his teammates, I can be as hard as I want because in that moment, it's fine because it's just me and you and I'm not blowing that player up in front of everyone else um, versus sometimes people, other players need to get blown up in front of everyone else. They need that external piece. But it's just kind of understanding how people think each player is going to be a little bit different 
But I think the best way to do it um, outside of categorizations or personality tests is just to watch, watch their body language, watch the nonverbals. When players tuck their shoulders in, cross their arms, lower their head, they're to being defensive. They don't want to listen to you versus if their chest is up and they're open up and, and there's a smile or there's a nod, um, then they're a bit more open to it. So we just try to think about communicate appropriately, watch the nonverbals, watch the player, know when they shut down. Um, and just try different ways to speak to them. Everyone's got a way to be taught, um, but it can be different player to player. So that's kind of the way we look at it, especially with our older ages. Yeah, I would agree. And I think we have a very similar approach minus the color coding piece of it. Um, I think ours, we try to solve organically and I've talked about this already, but I think helping players have self-awareness is a big piece of it as well and getting them to even not define their color like like lowry was talking about a little bit but just understand like how they learn um how they cope is is probably like a critical piece of being able to facilitate conversation with them at the appropriate time and i think of course like there are different cues that we're identifying with each player and we know them, especially by juniors, senior year, who needs that 24 hours, who needs that explanation, um, who, who needs to be left alone. Um, but ultimately, like we're not mind readers. And I think it's, it's a lot of the time very um, interpersonal when you're talking about some of those things that are extremely disappoint, dis disappointing and emotionally driven. Um, but being able to be strategic about that is, is based on kind of like, it's a two way street. So getting them to be able to communicate some of those things, granted, that's easier said than done too, because, um, you know, the first question that we're going to get a lot of the time is, well, what do I need to do? And it might be something that you've already communicated. Um, and what's really challenging is when there's a player like the fourth type of player that Lowry was talking about is like they're process driven and they need, they want to know what they need to do and they want to know it every single day. And we get that a lot at camps. We get that a lot of what are you looking for in the recruiting process? Um, and a lot of the time that's, that's kind of like a really hard thing to define specifically. And sometimes people can do that. Maybe some programs or someone has a certain method that they think works for them, but Ultimately, once again, it's like getting them to understand um, how they're coping with it and some of the things that they might be using as a coping mechanism are shutting other people out and shutting down a little bit. So how do you work on that? And we have them for four years. So that discussion starts freshman year if they're doing that. And by senior year, I think if you're doing it the right way, not only are they kind of growing and aware that this is something that they're going to kind of revert towards, then, you know, they have the awareness to be helping the other person that is also in that environment and having that similar experience that they have. So I don't really think it only comes down to like the coach, but it's a um, it's about like facilitating an environment that kind of helps everybody in every single different situation, whether it's someone seeking a younger guy seeking, Hey, how do I get better at defending? Or it's another guy going to the coach and saying, he's going to be more direct. He's going to say, why am I not playing? And the coach says, you need to defend better. A lot of those things happen without an intentional kind of like 
this is what we do when this happens. And I think that's because everybody's a little bit different, but the coach's umbrella of how they approach it is probably um, just as important as how they're dealing with individual moments. Uh, and, and I would add to it's, yeah, clearly based on the personality and like when we get to know these kids, like it's easier to identify the best ways to communicate with them, especially in the difficult moments when they're dealing with adversity, whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, for us, it's all about like making sure to establish these open lines of communication, be direct with them. And then uh, like what like Glowry just articulated all that really, really well with the different types of people and how they receive information. Um, sometimes with guys, like I think I know the answer. Um, and if they're not receptive to what I'm saying or they're not um, acting on it, I will ask them. I will say, hey, in these situations where you're having an off day of training, what do you need from me? And uh, sometimes the answer is like, come over and, and tell me. Um, or sometimes the answer is freak out at me in the middle of training and that gets me going. Um, so everybody's different. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, you learn a lot by just being around these guys and getting to know them. And then sometimes just asking them can be helpful as well. Uh, and, and I think it can go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> how did your coach know that? And we've all been in those situations, right? I mean, was it more of a, an old school, I'm going to be a hard ass kind of guy, or was it, you know, thoughtful, this is, I know Tommy will react this way if I, if I treat him this way. So the answer is both because one, he knew me and hundred percent, like if he just came over and said, Hey, you got to defend better, but you'll still start tomorrow. I wouldn't have done anything different. And, uh, I'm, I'm fine. Like taking some of those hard lessons sometimes and acting on it. Um, so he was right. And then also this was back in 2005 where it was okay to do that. Now it's harder to do those things because everybody needs, you know, a 20 minute conversation about why they're not starting um, or that type of thing. And, and, you know, like, again, we try to tell our kids like in our program on the front end, like, again, you have an opportunity and then from there, like, it's up to you to put us in a position where we have to play you. Um, sometimes with these kids, the answer why they're not starting or they're not playing um, is, uh, you know, they'll come ask, why didn't I play on Wednesday? And the answer is like, well, our choice was to put you on or to put Matt Lowry on. And uh, we chose him. So simple as that. Um, maybe you'll get a chance next time. Um, put us in a spot where it's not like that. Uh, do this and this and this. So that's, that's how it happens. And uh, I think these kids feel more entitled to answers like that now, as opposed to, you know, 18 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Silence um, is tough, but I do think like our college coach, like full respect to Roy and it was, you know, 2006 and all, you know, later different times, I guess. But I think that was what built the camaraderie of the group so well is it was such a simple answer from him every time. Why am I not starting? He's faster than you. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. You're right. And then I would just go back to my teammates and go like, all right, cool. Yeah. He is quicker than me, but I can do things that are a bit better. Right. So how can I dive into it? And that like just clear in front of you, honesty and like minimal conversation built the team, I think more. And it was like, you couldn't argue with him. He's right. Um, but I will say that I had a really good coach in the youth, which is Brian Cook, who I think is still bounced around Virginia doing different things in the youth soccer. But he was incredible with me. I mean, I was, I joined at U16. I was with him for two years, but he figured me out right away. 
Like he would pull me to the side, yell at me when I needed to be yelled at, um, was really, really good at managing me, let me kind of do my asshole things sometimes and let me go, but then would pull me back in and be like, you can't act like this. And I always reflect on when I manage players or coaches, I always think about the way he managed me. Um, so again, to go back to role models, like, like he was massive um, for the way that I think about management. But I think each coach is a little bit different, but you know, the way Roy managed us worked in that environment, the way Brian managed me when I was 16, 17 was perfect for me in that environment. But the best coaches, like Tommy said, are, are just going to figure those things out. What makes people tick? Um, and sometimes you got to ask. I think that was a great point. Um, let's not be too arrogant that we can't ask a 19 year old, how do you want to be spoken to? How do you want to be managed? I think everyone's going to have a good opinion on that. So that humility as a coach is huge too. I thought that was a great answer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else you guys got? We're, we're about at an hour in. Um, I try to limit them to an hour. So throw some more thoughts in there. Maybe like one final question for like Matt Lamb or something like that. I don't know. Oh, what was the question you wanted me to ask? Lamb? Yeah. Didn't you have something you said before we started recording that you wanted me to ask him? Uh, I honestly don't remember, but I'm afraid to guess. So. <laughs> yeah. I I'm I'm sorry, Tommy, if I'm not picking up on what you're. Uh, are you no. oh, okay. I, I I just want you to come up with a really good question for Matt Lamb. I think that'd be a great way to end this. Oh. Um Yeah, what was uh living with Tommy like? Was he just, you know, a complete nightmare right. or <laughs> No, that's that's not the question. Uh, Tommy was a great roommate. Tommy's so rhythmic. Like he's like such a rhythm person. I found that fascinating. Like at lunch every day, like he would just have a sandwich every single day. He'd have his cold cuts. He'd have his, like, and it'd be like, come to, it gets to the point where it's a joke. It was just like Tom and his cold cuts at noon every single day, like just so rhythmic. And I am not like that. I'm all over the place all the time. So like, honestly, Tommy helped me get through college just from role modeling. Like, you know, like <laughs> just have a from... rhythm to your life. Don't just make crap up every day when you wake up at, at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. Um, so I always, I always found that very admirable, Tom, very rhythmic. Th thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate, uh, you mentioning that I was making sandwiches for lunch. And then also little known fact that, uh, right now you can apply to cha legally change your first name to subway. And if it's accepted, then you'll get free subway for life. So, I mean, little known fact, probably something you would want to take advantage of. That's great marketing. Yeah, I know. Hmm. That is so stupid. Uh, I'm out of here. I'm going to court. I'm putting in my application. Um. Do it. Yeah. Subway Cooper. Um, yeah, that probably wouldn't work out very well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, I think we covered a lot of cool stuff, so guys have anything else no i think what i'll uh, say through all these questions is the camaraderie piece the humility with with players piece the ability to get through and, and to get through these suffering moments i think it's all about culture 
And what I'll say is that's all we, what I try to think about here in Atlanta United all the time is how can we positively affect the culture? How can we speak positively? And how can we make sure that these kids understand that I can get through this, I just got to keep going. Um, and knowing these two guys really, really well, that's all they think about and that's all that their energy is going into every preseason is how do I make sure this culture is ultra positive, that all these guys are connected and together all the way through this four to five month season. That's, I think, at the end of the day, how we can create really, really positive performances on and off the field for these kids. So just from my thing, like I think Tom and Lamb do some of the best jobs of this at the collegiate level. Um, and it's all about culture. It's all about the togetherness. And then when one player comes in and is new to that culture, they get acclimated, they get brought in, they believe in it, and you just keep the ball rolling. But I think that's what all three of us kind of felt at Mary Washington through our time there. And we're trying to replicate it here in Atlanta. They're trying to replicate it in their own way. But culture beats everything. And that's the biggest piece. Um, so, and these two guys do a freaking phenomenal job of it. Well, that's it for me. I, I would say, and I'll add to that, just that I think, oh, am I muted right now or am I? You're good. No, no, you're good. Okay. I would add to that that I think a lot of that is why maybe the three of us went to college and we're all in coaching and we're all on this call right now. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty neat. I think the way that we approach it, because we think about culture quite a bit, um, is I really do not like defining our culture through a top-down uh, mentality. So when we discuss the impacts, um, it's, we talk about decentralizing where influence is coming from. So if we're in any of these challenging environments or challenging um, moments, I feel like if you're dependent on the leadership or the coaching staff or captains to solve the situation, then, you know, that's so limiting. You should be creating a culture where a lot of these things are happening organically. And I think that's by getting the right people on the bus, like, getting the right people in that environment. And then rather than focusing so much on, you know, individually helping each person, which I think has a limited bandwidth and even like your focus shouldn't be 25% of my day to help this, this particular person, you should be creating an environment where the source of support to that in, in particular person in that moment is coming from a web of people, mentors, peers. Um, and if you can do that the right way, then it's kind of a community that shares the responsibility of, of empathy and how each person is, is really feeling. And it's so much more manageable rather than, hey, this person isn't playing and the only source or the only solution is by having a conversation with this coach and that coach telling them what they want to hear in that moment. Um, and of course, that there's an educational piece of that to make sure that everybody kind of has a good understanding of what people actually need to be hearing in different moments. And the self-awareness thing comes up in, in, in that uh, as well, making sure people are processing information from those sources, you know, as accurately as possible. Yeah, spot on. Yeah. Hey, and uh, I, I guess we'd probably be remiss if we didn't mention... Uh, probably one of the number one reasons for the environment at Mary Washington, um, Greg Savage. No, Emmett's mentor, Greg Savage. So he did a great job establishing our environment. I hope he listens to this. And uh, 
he really, you know, he was a better goalkeeper than Emmett initially, but it pushed Emmett to keep working hard uh, to, to try to, you know, catch up and, and get the starting position. So, yeah, shout out Greg Savage. It's all about role models. <laughs> 100 100 uh is scott gonna come back he's here man. i'm here oh can you not see me no nah, sorry that's the first time i ever had to do a bio break during a podcast i i it was gonna be a mess if i didn't handle it so um i apologize Literally. For yeah um one thing that i would like and maybe we save it but we can talk about it now if you'd like but just kind of Real quickly, the um, the role of parents, like we we kind of broached that a little bit, but you know, and just letting their kids fail, right? And and the ability that that creates in in a kid in the, in their mentality and their their ability to take ownership of their of their behavior, and you know, Matt Lowry, how much do you guys monitor? Or, or communicate with parents to, you know, keep them out of their kids' heads, and and you know, how do you lay down the groundwork and the expectation for of parent? Yeah, and, and what a good question. So originally, when we first came in, you know, I've been part of this academy since 2016. Our thing was kind of parents, you're the taxi drivers. Drop your kid off, trust us, go away. We'll talk to you once a year. Um, and in some ways that was helpful, but at the same time, I, I think now within the culture, um, and with the new generation, I don't think you can separate the parent from what's going on. You can't separate the, the player, the parent from the development of the player. Um, so we're doing a ton more communication now. So in the last two years, we've been really, really, really intentional about communicating with the parent, especially at the younger ages. And just saying, this is where your kid is. This is where we think he's going to go in the next couple of months. And this is what we want from you. So we're being very direct and saying, not necessarily stay out of it, but hey, if you want to have a conversation with your kid about training on the way home, let's ask these type of questions and almost spoon feeding. I don't know if it's going to work to every family or parent, but at least we're giving them information as the expert to say, this has worked in the past. This is the way Chris, uh, Caleb Wiley's parents act. This is the way Chris and Jen Wiley were when Caleb was 12, 13, 14. They took their chairs. They walked all the way to the bottom of the corner. They sat down next to the corner flag. They were six feet away from the field. You didn't hear a peep from them at the ref about the players, about the coach. They would come in into the reviews. They were supportive. They were helpful, but they were not the ones involved. They made Caleb answer the questions, they made Caleb take charge of his process. Um, so we use those kind of parents as examples, and then we try to just educate and say, we don't want you away from the process, we just want you alongside it. But at the end of the day, the player is gonna be the one that's gonna have to do all of the things. Not me as the director, not you know Tom or Matt as the coach, but the player, the player has to do it. Um, so we're doing a lot more education in that way. As always, sometimes it works, sometimes it backfires. Each parent's a little different, each player's a little bit different. Um, but I do think that parent education is gonna be really, really important um, with player development in the next two to three years. Um, it's it's something that we just can't separate. Right, I mean, they, they, it's such a big investment, right? Time, money, I mean, they, they expect to know what's going on with their kids and, and um, 
they expect them to progress and they expect things out of you guys as well. Um, but it's, it's awesome that you're taking the approach where you're involving them, but you're telling them this is what leads to success. This seems to be what the recipe is to, to get them where, where they want to go. So, um, maybe, uh, Matt Lamb, you can talk about, you know, you uh, have seen the difference of a parent that's super involved and a parent that's let their kid develop their own skills, um, or at least help them develop their own skills. I mean, how does that pan out on the college level where, you know, the two, you know, compare and contrast those two situations? Yeah, I think, um, it's it's a really interesting question. I think it has a direct impact. The independence that I think is required in order to these days come into college and be able to cope, thrive, and be able to progress and grow as a person is just it, it is it is more challenging than ever for I think somebody to come into college prepared for that. Um, but. I don't know if parent involvement is necessarily like the right question. I think you're very involved if you're asking similar questions that Lowry just gave an example of like and and getting your kid to think about the ways that he can, you know, grow or she can grow as a person um, and even just just being involved with it in a capacity that you're not enabling them at all, but you are putting them in a position to problem solve, making sure they're in that threshold where things are not so challenging, but they're also not not challenging enough. And then when they hit that threshold where it's a great challenge, how do they continue pushing forward? Um, when I look back at the players that we've had, there's there's definitely a correlation between players that have that independence and those coping mechanisms um, and the players that have been handheld quite a bit. I think sometimes it showcases itself when you get parent involvement in the recruiting process and it's clear that it's being driven more by the parent than the kid. I think there's so many great people um, that our college counselors are working at clubs that are helping educate that part of it. And I actually think over the past five years, the players' awareness and understanding of what college coaches are looking for and even the relationships that they're building with um, the players, building with the college coach has improved drastically. It's just, um, and, and it's exciting to see that because I think it's an important piece of, um, of their growth. But I don't think that would be happening if people were not being involved and being intentional about how these people are being taught. Um and yeah, I guess that's about it. Tommy, anything to tack on there? I don't have too much to add. Uh, we, I mean, we're, we're you know focusing on the player, but we recognize the their parents are a big part of the decision. You know, they're driving it financially a majority of the time, so there has to be some level of involvement um, d- during their process. But the player should be the driver. Um, yeah. so that, that, that's what I would add. Do okay. you guys have parents involved in like, you know, you have a kid that doesn't play the first six games. Are you getting phone calls? Is that normal? No, no, no. never. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, but, I, but I think, I, I, 
I think there's an understanding. Like uh, when you go to a college program, yours is a little, yours is different. Um, yeah. So no, I for the first time ever this year, I got a phone call from a parent. Um, at and all they did, they did it like in a polite way. Called my office phone and, and advocated for their kid. They just said, "Hey, I know the team's going through some ups and downs right now." my son is, is going to get you guys out of it. I, I just know he is. And uh, I was like, all right, thank you. And and that was it. And it was never brought up again. And uh, it's, you know, that's probably the, the most polite and respectful way you can do that. Um, you know, although I'd prefer never to get calls and communications like that, the way it was done was, you know, was, was fine. It wasn't offensive to me at all. It was fine. Um, but again, we, we don't expect, that stuff to happen ever. I think what's really interesting for us that can differ a little bit is that families are flying in to visit Rhodes. And of course, when you're on campus, everybody, you know, you're, you're trying to present a similar experience where what we're all trying to do is somewhat similar, but the commitment to get to Rhodes and even the, um, like if a kid is coming from California, like the familiarity, they've maybe never been to Memphis before. Maybe they've never been on Rhodes campus before. So the relationship that we have with parents in the recruiting process is maybe more significant and lore, and there's more interaction than what somebody might have if they're recruiting somebody that, um, you know, they live currently an hour away from where that school is. Because I think the familiarity piece of it is 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 comforting and, and, and for us, we, we have to take all this, what they don't know, and fill it with something to create a level of comfort to know that, hey, your kid is going going to be here for four years. We're going to look after them. This is the right environment. What's tra- challenging is segueing from that into an environment where we are now their coach and not recruiting them. And so you you we try to do our best in, in an appropriate way to kind of reroute and, and articulate a way and saying, hey, listen... And it's all the stuff that the, these guys have been talking about. Now it is your kid's show. When it comes to soccer, they need to be talking to us about these issues. When it comes to their mental health or different things that um, you know are are more palpable for like an administrative level or whatever it might be, then you can come to us because your kid is you know two flights away or or whatever it might be and they just want to make sure that their kids are okay so i think it's a necessity in some capacity but of course it's such a crutch if they have any involvement over playing time or travel or whatever that might look like um and that can really kind of inhibit what the individual kind of like progress of of your player is if they're um, their parent is getting involved in that. I think the other piece of it too, and this is really critical, is if a parent is relaying very contradicting information to what the coach is doing or saying, then all bets are off. Like uh, the way I look at it a lot of the time is that a parent has more influence on this individual because they have this trump card. They've raised this kid for 18 years. If that parent says this coach doesn't know what they're talking about, then I lose credibility when I, because the kid's mindset is so influenced by this person that the norm and the baseline of everything that they know has been established in the family environment that they've created. So if you're a parent, you need to be aware of how that coach coaches, asking almost like questions before you make that decision to spend the money or to send your kid to a certain area, even though that we do want um, kids leading a lot of that process. And 
Um, but yeah, that's certainly a challenge. And I completely agree with what Lowry said is um, it, 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 it's inevitable now. The, the relationship is there and you need to be able to kind of coach it the, the appropriate way to fit to into the model that's going to benefit the player the most and really the person the most. Cool. That's tremendous to know that like you guys as a, as a profession are, are adapting to times rather than trying to dig your heels in and make people adapt to you in certain areas. Um, so yeah. Uh, anything else? Tommy, am I missing anything? I think in the uh, time that I think you did a great talk, job. I think, Tommy just changed his name to Subway Denuso, actually. Yeah, actually, I just put my application while Lan was giving that answer. Yeah. Hey, so I'll see you tomorrow. Can you bring me a sandwich? <laughs> Done. Appreciate if if, if they accept it. Okay. Cool. Scott, um, thanks so much for having having me on for the yeah. No, I, I can't thank you guys really enough. Easy. Yeah, it's it's fantastic to have you guys on and, and share so much of uh, what you guys are doing and, and how this world works. I really appreciate it. Well, I think exactly. what you're doing Thanks is really beneficial. Yeah. Yeah, great job. Yeah, you're doing an awesome thing for a lot of people, I think. Appreciate it. All right, I stopped it. You guys can... Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. I hope you found it informative and enjoyable. Thank you for sharing and subscribing to the podcast and helping it grow. Please keep sending questions and comments. I enjoy the feedback and always get your questions answered by my guests. Don't forget to check out Matchplay on social media as well. See you on the trail.